Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled A Life Pleasing to God, Part 1. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning international audience. We also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Last week, we studied the passage found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6-13. through 13. The entire context is found in chapter 2 and all of chapter 3. The total verse range is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 13. In our last look at this passage, chapter 3, verses 6-13, through 13, we found this in the New John Gill's exposition of the entire Bible associated to verse 6. It reads, Timothy also brought an account of their charity, quote-unquote, or love, which faith works by. These two graces are always bound together. They are wrought in the soul by one and the same hand, and at the same time, where the one is, the other is, and as the one flourishes and increases, so does the other. This week, we examine scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul seemingly takes a detour here and goes down an apparent new path. It is actually a prerequisite for what comes next in the bottom of this chapter. It is also the foundation for building the necessary requirements in our lives for what comes next in chapter 5. Just what is a life pleasing to God? Let's get started. There are three subjects in this total passage. The first two are related and only separated by paragraphing in my version. The third subject has its own heading. So, the verses related to the first part reads, Finally, then, brothers and sisters, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God, as you are in fact living, that you do so more and more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. In this matter, no one should violate the rights of his brother or take advantage of him, because the Lord is the avenger in all these cases. As we also told you earlier, and warned you solemnly, for God did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. Consequently, the one who rejects this 
is not rejecting human authority, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. To whet your appetite, notice verses 3 through 4. For the purpose of inserting emphasis, these portions of verse 3 and 4 read, For this is God's will, that you become holy. Each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor. How does one do that? Quote, keep away from sexual immorality. End quote. That is a pretty stern warning to people of whom Paul just said, quote, We ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God, as you are in fact living, that you do so more and more. End quote. Seems to the modern man, leastwise in America, a point of confusion rather than engagement to stay the course of life and sacrifice they are presently on and to grow in. For most modern people, seeing the distinction here may be impossible. Today, we simplify things into simple terms, including success markers such as these. If I am doing something well, it seems to many American Christians, that is enough. We are not perfect and realize it. We consider that to be our best. However, this can lull us into a place of complacency, which is why verse 1 has two parts to its point. It reads parenthetically and directly, quoting, As you are in fact living, that you do so more and more. I believe this is the main point of this verse. Commentary has this fourth part of a synopsis of the chapter that is valuable. We read, An exhortation to quiet industry and to honesty in their dealing, particularly with those who were Christians. The second part is designed to comfort the Thessalonians who had been bereaved. Some of their number had died. They appear to have been beloved members of the church and dear blends of those to whom the apostle wrote. To console them, he brings into view the doctrine of the second coming of the Savior, and the truth that they would be raised up to live with him forever. He reminds them that those who had died were, quote, asleep, end quote, reposing in a gentle slumber as if they were to be awakened again, that they should not sorrow as they did who have no hope, that if they believed that Jesus died and rose again, they ought to believe that God would raise up all those who sleep in Jesus, that in the last day they would rise before the laying should be changed, and that the living would not be taken up to heaven and leave their departed friends in their graves, and that both the living and the dead would be raised up to heaven 
and would be forever with the Lord. With this prospect, they had every ground of comfort which they could desire, and they should sustain each other in their trials by bright hope. From Barnes New Testament Notes Let us examine this closer. Commentary also reads by first quoting two words in Scripture, furthermore then, or finally then, as to what remains, quote-unquote, that is, all that remains is to offer these exhortations. The phrase is a formula appropriate to the end of an argument or discourse. Also from Barnes New Testament Notes. We have the following references to also follow. Reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Our first companion verse reads, I have become a fool. You yourselves forced me to do it, for I should have been commended by you, for I lack nothing in comparison to those, quote, super apostles, end quote, even though I am nothing. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Associated Commentary reads, Paul doubtless desired that what he had said to himself should not be regarded as an example for others to follow. Religion repressed all vain boasting and self-exaltation, and to prevent others from falling into a habit of boasting and then pleading his example as an apology. He is careful to say that he regarded it as folly, and that he would by no means have done it if the circumstances of the case had not constrained him. If anyone, therefore, is disposed to imitate Paul in speaking of himself and what he has done, let him do it only when he is in circumstances like Paul, and when the honor of religion and his usefulness imperiously demand it, and let him not forget that it was the deliberate conviction of Paul that boasting was the characteristic of a fool. From Barnes New Testament Notes The verse and commentary put a new view on what is being said here in our original text of examination. We are always warned of boasting, and it is even considered a sin in certain circumstances. This verse and associated commentary confirms that all too well. Our next reference reads, For the rest, let no one give troubles to me, for I bear in my body the brands of the Lord Jesus. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, from Green's Literal Translation. Commentary on this verse also reads, For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, by which he means not the marks in Christ's hands, feet, and side, but the reproachful characters the apostle was stigmatized with or the real scars in his body made by beating, 
scourging and stoning of him for his sufferings and persecutions in general, which he endured for the sake of Christ and his gospel. The allusion is either to servants and soldiers who were taken into service used to have some particular mark put upon them that they might be known to be such an one's servant or soldier as the Hebrew servant who was willing to serve his master had his ear bored through with an awl so the apostle was known to be a firm and faithful servant and a good soldier of Christ by the reproaches and afflictions which he underwent for his sake or else to those marks which, by way of reproach and punishment, were made upon fugitive servants or soldiers that deserted, as the sufferings of the apostle were designed as reproaches to him, and punishments of him, for preaching the gospel of Christ. But these he gloried in, and bore and carried as trophies and marks of honor. Just as veteran soldiers show the scars and wounds they have received in battle as tokens of their valor and courage in facing and fighting the enemy in greatest danger. These he said to bear, quote, in his body, end quote, not in the bodies of others. He gloried not in their flesh as the false apostles did nor in the circumcision of his own flesh. The scar that left there, the mark of Moses and of a Jew, but in those things which were marks of his being a disciple of Christ, and not of Moses, and which he bore for his sake, and since therefore it was so necessary to discern on which side of the question he was from his suffering persecution for the cross of Christ. And since he had so many and such great trials and exercises, he, with apostolical gravity and authority, commands them to give him no more trouble from the time of their reception of the epistle hence forward. From the new John Keel's exposition of the entire Bible. With all this, we also read, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. I think this verse is clear enough. I need not support it with further commentary. Simply put, I do not need to struggle with flesh and blood or people who oppose our service to Christ since we are born again in Him. Paul's physicality supports this thinking because of the scars he received in the service of Christ and the message he spread. Our final reference is in Philippians. It reads, Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, 
If something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Associated Commentary also reads, In this exhortation, the apostle assumes that there were certain things admitted to be true and pure and good in the world which had not been directly revealed or which were commonly regarded as such by the men of the world. And his object is to show them that such things ought to be exhibited by the Christian. Everything that was honest and just towards God and towards men was to be practiced by them, and they were in all things to be examples of the highest kind of morality. They were not to exhibit partial virtues, not to perform one set of duties to the neglect or exclusion of others, not to be faithful in their duties to God and to neglect their duty to men, not to be punctual in their religious rites and neglectful of their common laws of morality, but they were to do everything that could be regarded as the fair subject of commendation and that was implied in the highest moral character. From Barnes New Testament Notes. So, what does all this say? How do we bottom line this into something we can all understand? Let's put this all together. Commentary first said an exhortation to quiet industry and to honesty in their dealings, particularly with those who were Christian. This is interesting. An exhortation is made to everyone to execute quiet industry and honesty in their dealings. Notice also he added emphasis. It reads, particularly with those who were Christians. Notice how those of us who are in Christ are called to a higher calling, a higher standard, and a higher standard of expression while working quietly, being honest in all our dealings. Notice, too, that it is all our dealing, not just some or even of a pick-and-choose mentality. There are no options with regard to our dealings. While it does not say all our dealings, nonetheless, all is heavily implied in how it is written. Notice this commentary portion also. Religion repressed all vain boasting and self-exaltation, and to prevent others from falling into a habit of boasting and then pleading his example as an apology, he is careful to say that he regarded it as folly and that he would by no means have done it if the circumstances of the case had not constrained him. Does this mean there are times when we can operate outside the constraints of boasting? What did commentary say? Commentary said, He 
Paul is careful to say that he regarded it as folly. So even though Paul had an issue here, even he encourages us not to go down this path. This thinking is further supported where commentary says, It was the deliberate conviction of Paul that boasting was the characteristic of a fool. Simply put then, all boasting and self-exaltation is foolish and characteristic of a fool when lived by as a force of life. Commentary also told us they were not to exhibit partial virtues, not to perform one set of duties to the neglect or exclusion of others, not to be faithful in their duties to God and to neglect their duties to men, not to be punctual in their religious rites and neglectful in the common laws of morality. But they were to do everything that could be regarded as the fair subject of commendation, and that was implied in the highest moral character. We see this again expressed differently. You are either all in or all out. The middle ground does not exist in Christ and serving him. We are also held to the highest moral character. Will we fail? Yes, we will. Did that stop Paul? No. In closing, let's do it with this commentary remark. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The allusion is either to servants and soldiers who, when taken into service, used to have some particular mark put upon them, that they might be known to be such an one's servant or soldier as the Hebrew servant, who was willing to serve his master, had his ear bored through with an awl, so the apostle was known to be a firm and faithful servant and a good soldier of Christ by the reproaches and afflictions which he underwent for his sake, or else to those marks which, by way of reproach and punishment, were made upon fugitive servants or soldiers that deserted as the sufferings of the apostle were designed as reproaches to him and punishments of him for preaching the gospel of Christ. But these he gloried in and bore and carried as trophies and marks of honor. Why do modern men and women lament such religious scars? Why do we allow such scarring to bring us to a point of intrepid sadness? Thinking we have not properly served Christ otherwise, we would not have received such scarring from our daily battling for the success of our faith. Are we not already successors in our faith, and all that remains is the fight that secures it in us? Next week, we will continue to examine this subject titled, 
a life pleasing to God, part two. In chapter three, this subject continues. Verse four in chapter three reads, For even when we were with you, we said to you before that we are about to be afflicted, as it also happened, even you know. Very interesting. In Paul's day, Christians, they could see affliction coming before it did. If that is true, how is it we are so blind to such things today? Play or download next week's episode titled A Life Pleasing to God, Part 2. Download this episode next week from one of our podcast hosts or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. All other quotes bear the source they are from. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic, Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction about us, who we are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. For more information, check out our mobile, tablet, and desktop compliant website. Our subdomain, hosted at site123.com, is unchurched.site123.me. This website is where you will find additional information about us and the podcast platforms we are in syndication with. Find direct links to all our podcast platforms under the podcast menu item. Our RSS feed is syndicated on many popular podcast platforms. Please use the search phrase, Church of the Un, insert dash symbol, Church. Again, Church of the Un, insert dash symbol, Church. To find us on a podcast platform like iTunes, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, or Anchor.fm. We refresh our RSS feed with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. 
if Podomatic has any server issues. All linked episodes on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher will be unavailable for the duration of the server downtime. We therefore post all episodes on our backup post, www.podcasts.com. That is podcast with an S. Again, our website is www.podcasts.com or go to anchor.fm forward slash unchurched. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.